Welcome to Progressive News Network here on Blog Talk Radio. If you heard me giggling a few seconds ago, we were having a few little technical issues. Again, I want to remind our listeners, this is a live show. All right, there is no editing. This is live. Uh, I do prep for the show, and I have quite a bit of information, but it's still live with all the hiccups that accompany the, the honesty of a live broadcast. So, uh, welcome to Progressive News Network, or PNN as we call it, with me, Janine Maloff. I'm the producer and host. Uh, we normally run on and broadcast on Sundays. Um, we Again, Blog Talk has been having some issues. So since I couldn't get on yesterday, we're doing it today. Uh, if you saw the little advert on Facebook, congratulations. It uh, looks like like a lot of other political commentary, especially that is coming from either Democrats or from the left, looks like we've been shadow banned on Facebook. And what that means is I can put out an ad or, you know, even that, or even just a link to an article I wrote and published, for instance, on Nation of Change or Eurasia Review, my publishing homes, and not hardly seen by anyone. And so shadow banning, I did a little research on it before we get into our show. Um, I'm not the most tech-savvy person. I'll be the first one to admit it, you know. Um, But my understanding, basic though it is, is that shadow banning is done on Facebook where you're not actually put in Facebook jail. You're not actually banned exactly, but they block your feed, your posts from being seen by hardly anyone except maybe you know, a few people. And by a few, I mean as many people as you have fingers on one hand. Not kidding. Uh, And, you know, I've seen it where one of, you know, a prominent uh, leftist um, activist, Medea Benjamin, she was complaining on Facebook, and I happened to see it, that you know, again, no, nobody's seeing her political posts, but that Facebook's turned into a place where, you know, you wish somebody happy birthday and it goes everywhere. And, you know, it's true. So, you know, once again, I, I think that Facebook's gotten, as old-fashioned saying goes, too big for its britches. <clears throat> Excuse me. Time. We, we really need to have an equivalent to Facebook that, it's for progressives and for Democrats, um, not all this other nonsense. Um, truth be told, we need a return to net neutrality. That's why all these things, the reason the logarithm and, and shadow banning and things like this are going on is in part because there's no more net neutrality, okay, uh, so that all content's not treated equal. That's, and, you know, if you have the deep pockets, your content will be seen. Everyone else's will be buried. So 
that's what's really going on. Uh, you know, again, we've got teenage influencers who, you know, basically they draw a lot of eyeballs that generates advertising revenue. And so they get pushed up in the ratings, whereas substantive programming goes way down. All right, if you're tired of that type of moronic crap, then you need to start pressuring your representatives for a return to net neutrality. That's it. Um, you know, we shouldn't be relegated to the off-ramp while, you know, nonsense gets to go on the superhighway. Just, just my opinion. So, again, if you saw the advert, kudos to you. Not many people have been. Um, and I've got to figure something else out. So today's show is about, it starts out with this really, not just tone deaf, but really evil quote from uh, Jamie Dimon, who is the CEO of J.P. Morgan Bank. Now, the headline says, Dimon says, don't demonize MAGA and other GOP lies. So this week, we're gonna just, I'm going to first discuss the really asinine statement made by J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon, where he admonishes Trump MAGA critics. Dimon said in Davos, you know, that's the place where all these big movers and shakers, the big bankers, get together to decide, in my opinion, to decide which, uh, which part of the public they're going to rob next. But you know, they decide all the economics, my opinion, anyway. Um, so Dimon was in Davos with all the other big movers and shakers. And Diamond said in Davos that, quote, we shouldn't demonize MAGA. Diamond then praised Trump for his alleged accomplishments. Uh, apparently, MAGA supporters terrorizing the rest of us is a little more than, you know, an inconvenience to Jamie Diamond and his ilk. So I decided to investigate Diamond. All right? That's our big story. Now, we also have our latest um, deplorable and jackass of the week. Okay? So there we go. I'm going to put on again. Uh, oh, I can't see where I'm going here. Uh, I'm going to put on a little interlude and we'll move to our big story. Okay, and we're back. So we're going to start. Don't just take my word for it. We have the actual video. You can't see the video because we're only audio right now. But you can listen to it. This is Jamie Dimon being interviewed by CNBC at the Davos Forum last week. So give me a second here. It's pretty damning. Here we go. Okay. Okay, I'm going to start again. I want this to be turned up. Okay. So, turn up. Here we go. JP Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, his thoughts. He often shares them, and this time he's warning Democrats this election cycle. Watch what you say about Donald Trump and his supporters. I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they talk about MAGA. When people say MAGAs, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump, and they think they're voting, and they're basically scapegoating them, that you are like him. Uh, and, but I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. 
Okay, let me just take a step back, be honest. He's kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. Mm-hmm. He grew the economy quite well. And I don't like how he said things like Mexico. I don't like, but he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. And that's why they're voting for him. And, and I think people should be a little more respectful of our fellow citizens. The Democrats have done a pretty good job with the deplorables, hugging onto their Bibles and their beer and their guns. I mean, really, like, can we just stop that stuff and actually grow up and treat other people with respect and listen to them a little bit? I think this, this negative talk about MAGA is going to hurt Biden's election oh, campaign. Yeah. It's a really interesting moment for a number of reasons. Uh, one. Okay, so there's a little more. Now we have the CNBC reporter, if you will, giving a little background. And because you rarely, if ever, hear CEOs of huge companies be that candid on politics. Two, because Jamie Dimon has been no defender of Donald Trump. You'll remember how... Okay, we're cutting that part off. Okay. I don't listen to stenographers, and that's what the CNBC reporters have devolved into. They're stenographers with, you know, especially the women, absolutely absurd hairdos. Helmet hair, I think, what we used to call it. Now, let's deconstruct what Diamond said. He basically was saying we should grant MAGA, the MAGA minions, respect. Hmm. And that these voters, they may not like the fact that basically Trump is rude, but, you know, he was right about NATO. How was Trump right about NATO? Let's devolve that. Let's deconstruct that one first. You know, if NATO ceased to exist, Putin would have already not only destroyed uh, Ukraine, he would have already been moving into other European states. NATO is the one thing that keeps Putin in check. Okay, so I I think, Mr. Diamond, I would have, you know, I would have actually uh, retorted back to him, so what, whose side are you on? Do you think that Putin should take over all of Europe? You know, is that what you're advocating for? You know, Trump, the the absurd idea that we should be respectful of the very people that are, the the very people that, one, committed a violent insurrection on January 6th, okay, these were not tourists, these MAGA morons broke and entered into the Capitol. They defecated in the halls of Congress and smeared the feces on the wall. Let that sink in for a minute. They behaved like barbarians. They attacked and seriously injured several cops. I think five or six cops actually died from it. Um, what else? This was they were trying to take over and end democracy. They were going to overthrow the vote, overthrow the government. They went hunting for humans. They had erected a functional gallows. What, you know, is Jamie Dimon really that effing stupid? Or just a uh, hypocritical liar? Which is it? Okay. Personally, I don't think he's that stupid. That's my opinion. Now, so I, I thought, okay. There's a lot of more examples. I mean, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and I can tell you the MAGA minions here are not worthy of respect. You know, these are the people that are accusing anyone who disagrees with Trump of pedophilia and grooming for pedophiles. They're accusing Democrats of pedophilia and grooming for pedophiles. 
They're accusing leftists of pedophilia and grooming for pedophiles and an assortment of other heinous crimes with no evidence. So how is this worthy of respect, Mr. Diamond? Really burns my butt. So I thought, okay, let's give an example of one of these MAGA minions, somebody who actually ran for office. So I looked at this woman who ran for, um, let's see, she ran for office. Her name's Lauren Whitsky. Give me a second here. Ah, come on. All right. Now, she's an alt-right political activist. Now, alt-right, may as well say neo-Nazi in my opinion. Uh, she's 35 years old. She is known for her anti, um, I'm not going to say anti-LGBTQ views. I'm going to say basically she hates the LGBTQ community. She's promoted QAnon. She was, Lauren Whitsky was the Republican nominee in the 2020 United States Senate election in Delaware. Now, she did lose to Democrat Chris Coons, but she was the Republican nominee for a U.S. Senate seat. Make no mistake about it. She won the Republican primary in 2020. She she faced off against Chris Coons, and thank God Coons won. Um, She won the Republican primary in Delaware with 57% of the vote. Okay. She defeated attorney and former Marine James DiMartino. Whitsky said her opponent was a rhino. Um, the state Republican Party for Delaware did not endorse her. Okay. Um, Whitsky's Senate campaign was endorsed by white nationalist Nick Fuentes. Keep in mind, Fuentes, he's a white nationalist. He's also a neo-Nazi. Okay. This is the guy that compared Holocaust victims to, uh, I think it was, was it Skittles, something like that, or M&M's. Whiskey happily accepted Fuente's endorsement, uh, responding, thank you, Nick. Okay. So, excuse me. Whitsky has appeared on V-Dare, which is a website that's not only xenophobic, it really is neo-Nazi, anti-defamation leads, called it out, as well as the Southern Poverty Law Center. They call both groups, Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League, called V-Dare a website that, quote, regularly publishes articles by prominent white nationalists, race scientists, and anti-Semites. And that is as documented uh-oh. Okay, by a group called Y. Um, Whiskey tweeted out in her interview, well, this is again according to Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League, uh, tweeted in an interview with V-Dare, uh, she, she wrote, quote, in order to preserve America, we must first preserve American families, our values, and our culture. End quote. That sounds, you know, benign enough, but that's not what she means, apparently. Um, She's complimented the Proud Boys, saying that they exemplify, quote, patriotic masculinity, and thanked them because apparently they provided security at her campaign rallies. In 2023, Whitsky said that, quote, America needs a strong leader that would make even the most infamous 
of fascist blush, end quote. And in that same statement, she also said, quote, that, quote, racial integration has hurt the black and white communities, end quote. And then went on to claim that, quote, blacks are 13% of the population but commit 56% of the murders, end quote. Okay. Uh, lost my place, excuse me. Now this is via her Twitter feed. Okay. So Whiskey's called Black Lives Matter violent terrorist who, quote, stokes societal unrest and literally already have blood on their hands, um, end quote. She's claimed that COVID is satanic and that the vaccine is a satanic plot to cause mass death. This really sounds like a nut job. Um, she supported a complete ban on all immigration for 10 years. Um, she's opposed to same-sex marriage. She thinks transgender people are mentally ill and demonic. She uses the word demonic a lot. Um, you know, this woman is really, you know, a nut job. Now, in terms of her personal life, and I'm, I'm looking at a Wikipedia page, and I know people don't like Wikipedia, but when I look at a Wikipedia page, and I go straight down to the reference section, because often even the Wikipedia page may be questionable, if you back it up and look at the actual legitimate references, you can use it. Okay? According to her personal life, she was raised Methodist, but according to this, quote, she is a former drug user who reformed through a Pentecostal faith-based recovery program for which she later became program director. She is a recent evangelical Protestant, con, con, I'm sorry, she is a recent evangelical Protestant convert to Orthodox Christianity received within the Russian Orthodox Church outside of Russia and was a catechumen during her Senate campaign. I don't know what that is. Okay, I know what the Russian Orthodox Church is. It's pure garbage. All right, the Russian Orthodox Church orchestrated the pogroms, the violent attacks on Jews in the early 20th century that my grandparents escaped from barely with their lives. The Russian Orthodox, the Russian, excuse me, Orthodox Church is virulently racist and anti-Semitic. There's no guesswork here. And the Russian Orthodox Church just loves Vladimir Putin. So... Let's listen to Miss Whitsky, okay? Let's just look. Let's just listen to her. So give me a second here. This Lauren Whitsky YouTube uh, video. YouTube. There are people paying attention to uh, some of the things that are being threatened. And threatened as in like we're aware of crimes. A lot of our compadres are, are aware of crimes. The people on the other side are really starting to wonder what happens if they do indeed take back control of the country. Well, Rachel Maddow believes that not only are we going to prosecute everybody on that side of the aisle, but there are going to be executions. She said this. Let's go. Here's whiskey. I mean, I mean, after they stand for a fair trial, then, you know, the judgment will be swift and it will be just. Now, this is a video that is, this was, that was whiskey, and it was a video that recording that Right Wing Watch had taken of, you know, this interview that Whiskey gave, so the, that woman, that was Whiskey. Um, and Right Wing Watch is disrupting extremism, defending democracy. You know, and she just can't wait to start executing Democrats. Let's play that one again. 
So the commentator, you know, is just setting up. There are people paying attention to uh, some of the things that are being threatened. And threatened as in, like, we're aware of crimes. A lot of our compadres are, are aware of crimes. But people on the other side are really starting to wonder, what happens if they do indeed take back control of the country? Well, Rachel Maddow believes that not only are we going to prosecute everybody on that side of the aisle, but there are going to be executions. Okay, so the commentator is setting Whiskey up. Like, there's going to be executions, and Whiskey's fine with that. And the alleged crimes, notice, they're not being mentioned. But when you get on the dark web and you get on these MAGA sites, you know that a lot of these alleged crimes, crimes are crimes for being gay or trans or being a Democrat even. I mean, they're not crimes. This is just an excuse to murder people that MAGA doesn't like. Here's Whiskey's response. She said this. Let's go. I mean, after they stand before a fair trial, then, you know, the judgment will be swift and it will be just. Okay. So that's her response. Let's go. She has no problem with it. <laughs> Excuse me. This is one of the MAGA people that we're supposed to respect. Okay? Jimmy Diamond's so full of crap. But whiskey's not the only deplorable, though it's scary. Even though the, the Republican Party in Delaware refused to endorse her, she won the nod. And yes, she lost the election, but think about this. This is the U.S. Senate. And this woman is fine with the way MAGA routinely slanders, libels, and defames anyone they don't like or agree with calling them groomers, calling them pedophiles, accusing Democrats, you know, you don't look any further than Marjorie Taylor Greene, who went on record saying the Democrats want to murder and the killing's already started. What killing? Seriously. These are the people that Jamie Dimon says we should give respect to? Oh, hell to the naw. So, and let's face that, Mr. Diamond, you know, I know he's not going to listen to a small broadcast like this, but if you were, I would just tell him, Mr. Diamond, you do know MAGA's filled with neo-Confederates and Nazis, okay? The Band-Aid's been ripped off. There's no plausible deniability. They have said the quiet part out loud. But here, Mr. Diamond, you have the gall to chastise us for demonizing MAGA supporters? Okay, this hypocrisy is too delicious. To ignore. Okay, apparently ultra wealthy bandits like diamonds, I guess they believe that violence coming from MAGA will, you know, magically pass over them, you know, like the Jewish Passover. It will pass over them magically. Face it, Jamie Diamond and fat cats like him, they're vile. But I also fault, fault the stenographers, I won't call them reporters, they're stenographers covering this announcement, and they're worse, they enable this MAGA monster to grow undisturbed. Diamond should have been questioned about his past, his possible criminality, his evil indifference as he sat there kissing Trump's ring in absentia. Was that a mafia reference? You're damn right it was. So let's talk about Diamond. So first, the interview. Now, we looked at the interview. We heard it again. I'm going to let you listen for a few minutes again to Diamond's nonsense. 
just to remind you what Jack asked about. Jamie Dimon, he has thoughts. He often shares them. And this time he's warning Democrats this election cycle. Watch what we say about Donald Trump and his supporters. I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they talk about MAGA. When people say MAGA, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump, and they think they're voting, and they're basically scapegoating them, that you are like him. Uh, and, but I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. But if you look, just take a step back, be honest. Okay, I'm going to stop here. Diamond's saying that Democrats, okay, are scapegoating MAGA? Oh, sweetie, that's the other way around. It's MAGA that's been scapegoating everyone else. These are facts. I don't know, you know, where Mr. Diamond was on January 6th. Maybe he was somewhere where there wasn't access to a television or a, a laptop or a smartphone, but no. You know, MAGA voters, this goes along, along with the myth that, well, there are some nice MAGA voters. I, you know, I, when I was campaigning for Bernie, I heard this crap. And, and the fact is, no, they're they're not nice. Okay, they're dishonest. They're being dis- these MAGA voters that don't like Trump's mannerisms and maybe don't like the bigotry either, but they still vote for him anyway. You know, these are the people that claim they voted for Obama, but they just couldn't bring themselves to vote for Biden, so they vote or Hillary, so they voted for Trump. They're being not they're not only lying to other people, they're lying to themselves. Okay, the bigotry. And the cruelty is the point of MAGA. It's its entire raison d'etre, its entire reason for existing. That's, that's it in a nutshell. MAGA has no political philosophy other than normalizing and sanctioning and blessing not only hate, but violence against anyone who disagrees with the Donald. That's it. And Jamie Dimon knows this. He's not stupid. So when you hear somebody talk, and this is the ranch thing, when you hear somebody talk about how, well, there's a nice, I know a person, they're a nice MAGA supporter. No, no, they're not. No, they're not. They voted for Trump anyway because they may not have liked getting their hands dirty, but they were fine letting somebody else do the dirty work for them. MAGA voters, the alleged nice ones, these are people that they value their white privilege or their white Christian privilege more they value truth more than they value decency. That's it. Trump has openly embraced Nazism. MAGA has openly embraced Nazism. Trump is using Hitler's words, vermin, poisoning the blood. It's a direct quote. And here Jamie Dimon is making excuses and then chastising those of us of the gall to criticize. No, you can't have it that way. And I've heard recently MAGA supporters, you know, they project their own sins onto other people, you know, saying that, no, Democrats are the Nazis. No, they're not. Okay. And for the record, I'm technically not a Democrat. I'm an independent. Okay. But that's beside the point. I guess you could say I lean left. Uh, But this is nonsense. And these CNBC reporters, if you saw the video, They're just kind of looking kind of like, what? But they're not challenging him. They're just letting him run his mouth. Here we go, a little more. Kind of right about NATO. Kind of right about immigration. Okay, how is Trump kind of right about NATO? Okay, Trump wanted to pull out of NATO. 
He was very vocal about it. There was no guesswork here. If the U.S. pulls out of NATO, NATO falls apart because we're the primary support and we're the biggest power in NATO. If NATO falls, not only will Ukraine fall, the rest of Europe will. Okay, Trump grew the economy quite well. How? Okay, if you look at the actual statistics, the economy suffered under Trump. Yes, gas prices were low. That's true. Suffering. And then you also have COVID. Trump's bungling of COVID hurt the economy. He had to opt. He had to okay the payments to individual Americans in order to keep the economy going, but he also gave more to big business. Okay. But he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues, and that's why they voted for him. And and I think people should be a little more respectful of our fellow citizens. We should be more respectful of our fellow citizens, the same fellow citizens that are shrieking that they want to murder us because we're the wrong color, the wrong religion, the wrong gender identity, the wrong sexual orientation, the wrong political philosophy. But we should be more respectful to them and, and, and show our respect before they slit our throats. Is that it? Now, I'm not saying all MAGA followers want to just go out and murder the rest of us. I'm not saying that at all. But I am faulting those followers of MAGA that remain silent. Okay? That's just not right. You know, MAGA is all about, MAGA has no political philosophy other than white Christian male supremacy, which is the same thing as Nazism. And authorizing concentration camps, Trump has been open about this recently. He just blatantly said it. You know, he wants to be able to send his critics and enemies to a concentration camp. Millions of people. Whatever happened to innocent until proven guilty? Whatever happened to due process? Well, he wants to dump the Constitution and become dictator, but only on day one. Now, anybody stupid enough to believe that? I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell them really cheap, and then, of course, we can sell them the Eiffel Tower and so on and so forth. There's no such thing as somebody who becomes a dictator for day one. It doesn't work that way. And the reporters, the stenographers from CNBC, they're just sitting there going, yep. Democrats have done a pretty good job with the deplorables, hugging onto their Bibles and their beer and their guns. I mean, really, like, can we just stop that stuff and actually grow up and treat other people with respect and listen to them a little bit? I think this, this next... Okay, so, Jamie Dimon is obviously clueless. Well, maybe not. Maybe he knows exactly what he's saying and doesn't care. Okay. You know, rich people don't care. But of course, he will care that if, God forbid, Trump gets reelected, once people like Diamond outlive their usefulness, Trump's going to steal their wealth, too, and throw them into a concentration camp next. But Mr. Diamond is so arrogant, he thinks that it won't affect him. So this is what we're talking about here. So Robert Wright, who was, you know, an official in the Clinton administration, who is a professor now and has written quite a bit on the evils of neoliberalism, he wrote a piece in his Substack and titled, quote, Why Jamie Dimon Loves Trump Policy. And the first line is, quote, Why is Jamie Dimon the most influential CEO in America spouting 
<coughs> these lies in favor of Trump. <coughs> because he thinks Trump is a good chance of becoming president and Diamond wants to be in his good graces, end quote. Again, kissing the ring, the mafia reference. Um, Wright goes on to say, quote, asked which candidate would be better for his business. Diamond said, quote, I have to be prepared for both. I will be prepared for both. We will deal with both. The article goes on to say that Diamond is aware that because he earlier supported Nikki Haley that it really irritated Trump, and this is documented by CNN. Okay. Um, and Trump posted on his ironically named Truth Social, quote, I'll try and sound like him. Highly overrated globalist Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, quietly pushing another non-MAGA person, Nikki Haley, for president. Okay. Now, that post was in late November. Didn't take Dimon long to crush. Uh, Trump then went on to say, quote, I've never been a big Jamie Dimon fan, but had to live with this guy when he came begging to the White House. I guess I don't have to live with him anymore, and that's a really good thing. So now, Jamie Dimon, like most of Republicans, are trying to do appeasement. But the appeasement doesn't work. You know, Jews found that out uh, in Hitler's rise. They thought they could do appeasement and Hitler and his Nazis would leave him alone. Didn't work out that way. Trump is a bully. MAGA are bullies. You can't appease a bully. Appeasement to a bully encourages them to bully more. That's the way it is. You have to stand up to them. Because at the end of the day, bullies are cowards. Now, I suspect, this is my opinion, I suspect that there's quite a few Republican politicians, I've heard rumors in D.C., for instance, that quite a few Republican politicians, especially members of Congress, despise Trump. They know he's crazy. They, they know he's stupid. They know he's evil. But they're terrified of his lynch mob. See, the way they destroy MAGA is to go after his lynch mob. You know, the January 6th uh, criminals that were convicted, they're learning now. There's no law that says you can rampage or assault, commit assault or battery. And what needs to happen is when these jerks start acting out, a lot of times cops won't do anything, you need to press charges. Jackasses know they're going to they're gonna serve time. Then MAGA's not going to look so appealing. We have to we have to destroy his lynch mob is what it boils down to. There, there's no magic pill here. You know, we don't need to understand MAGA. I understand them quite well. They are neo-Nazis and neo-Confederates, period. And then there are some that maybe don't like that politics, but they go along with it because they still benefit from those policies and they're too cowardly to do anything else. They're just as guilty. Okay, it's really that simple. I don't need to understand MAGA. I understand them. What we need to do is destroy MAGA. And the way you do it, the way you defang a viper like Trump is to destroy his lynch mob. That's it. 
What if every time a Democratic politician were being attacked by MAGA, they just calmly held up their phone, said, hold that thought, called the police, and pressed criminal charges of assault? It's not free speech if you're threatening somebody. Free speech has some limitations. I don't believe in censorship. But if you threaten somebody, if you make them feel threatened, that legally fits the definition of assault. If they actually physically attack you, that's battery. That's assault and battery. It's called simple assault, but that's what it is. If everybody did that, if these MAGA morons knew they're risking jail time, not worth it, especially with their buddy Trump not bailing them out. This is how you do it. So, you know, getting back to Reich's article, he wrote, quote, at a time in American history leaders of America need to stand up loudly and clearly for the rule of law, for democracy, for decency, and against Donald Trump, Diamond is leading the charge in the opposite direction. And then he says, quote, this is how fascism takes root and spreads, friends, end quote. And again, I agree with Wright, but we need to take it further. Okay, the kids in Black Lives Matter, the kids, uh, you know, the Bernie group, and all, they were trying to warn us back in 16. But we need to take this seriously. And Jamie Dimon, you know, if Jamie Dimon is the 21st century equivalent of the corporate enablers of Hitler, that's it. It's really that simple. So how credible is Jamie Dimon? Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about Dimon's background because apparently his company, J.P. Morgan, did some things that they shouldn't have done that contributed to the crash in 08, and they were able to buy their way out through uh, Eric Holder's DOJ under Eric Holder and Barack Obama. So, you know, and this is not new. We, we have a pattern of corporate criminality in this country where even if corporations or banks are caught red-handed, whether it's a Democrat or Republican is irrelevant at that point. The prosecutors go after them and they get the case, and these corporations can pay off, pay the way out of it. Now, mind you, when they pay off these fines, the fines go maybe to the very rich. They don't go to the little investor. You need to understand that. Most of the fines really go to law firms prosecuting or defending, rather. And there's this thing called a deferred prosecution agreement, among other things, where basically DOJ says, look, Mr. Corporation, we got you dead to rights. We do. But if you sign this paper saying you'll be good boys and you won't do this again, and you pay these fines, even though you were convicted, you won't ever see a jail cell. You can keep doing what you've been doing. We don't want to know about new crimes. Now, mind you, does the average citizen get deferred prosecution? No, they do not. This is this little deal. And, you know, again, corporations and the very rich have an unfair advantage, and this needs to stop. <coughs> so I'm going to take a little break here, and we'll be right back.
And we're back. Okay, I need to refill my cup. Got my decaf here. All right, so since we're talking about Jamie Dimon, and he's really a symptom, how credible is he? Well, there was a piece that ran in Vanity Fair back in 2017 that, you know, reminds the public that Diamond's credibility is as clean and fresh as a loaded diaper, okay? This is a piece it published September 6, 2017 in Vanity Fair. Um, I don't see the author's name, though. The headline is Jamie Dimon's 13 billion, with a B, billion dollar secret revealed. So it starts with four years ago. In other words, back in 2013, okay, because this was written in 2017. Back in 2013, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, again, Dimon's the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, they reached a record settlement for the time then with DOJ, with Department of Justice, and uh, among other things, the bank, quote, received a copy of a U.S. attorney's draft complaint documenting its alleged role. Here, I'm going to start over again, Kiki. Basically, this article deals with this uh, draft complaint that was written by a specific U.S. attorney who got the goods on them, and the deal... Uh, Essentially, was that if they pay this fine, and somebody is trying to call, I'm just going to ignore. Um, oh. Sorry about that, folks. I had a problem with my phone. Um, the document basically was traded. Okay, DOJ said, okay, J.P. Morgan Chase, if you pay these fines. Then we'll make this draft complaint done by this individual U.S. attorney just sort of disappear. But you'll get a copy. So DOJ handed over evidence against them. DOJ handed over evidence against J.P. Morgan Chase to J.P. Morgan Chase for a fee. Okay? So I'm going to read this specifically. <laughs> Excuse me. Quote, four years ago, that means 2013, J.P. Morgan Chase reached a then-record settlement with the Department of Justice after, among other things, the bank received a copy of a U.S. attorney's draft complaint documenting its alleged role in underwriting fraudulent securities in the years leading up to the 2008 financial crisis. Following the bank's $13 billion, with a B, financial agreement, the draft complaint was never filed. Then the bank paid another settlement to prevent a separate legal case from potentially unearthing it. The contents of the draft complaint have, uh, have long been a financial crisis mystery, a great white wheel of a document, at least until now, end quote. Just listen to that and let it sink in. All right? J.P. Morgan was allowed to pay off, you know, pay a fine to get out of trouble for fraud that they committed. DOJ had the goods, fraud that heavily contributed to the 2008 financial crisis where a lot of little people lost their shirts. <clears throat> that was the one where 
banks were um, packaging these home loans that they knew weren't good. They were considered junk loans. Um, the banks loaned, they were called liar loans because the banks loaned um, money to potential homeowners that they knew didn't have the collateral to back it up. They, they knew they weren't going to be able to ever pay this off. In other words, they knew that these people would lose their home. And then they repack, they bought, they packaged all these liar loans together. And it wasn't the homeowner, potential homeowners that were lying, it was the banks lying. And then they sold these packages into securities. And if you were dumb enough to buy something that had that security and when those home loans went belly up, then the securities went belly up and you lost everything. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> <laughs> Sorry, folks. So, $13 billion fine was paid to federal and state authorities to settle claims that they had misled investors in the years leading up to the financial crisis. But the settlement agreement that J.P. Morgan made, according to this article, really, quote, raised many eyebrows on Wall Street, end quote. And that takes a lot. Okay, so apparently this large settlement I'm just going to read straight from the article. Quote, the huge settlement appeared inconsistent with the oft-repeated narrative of the bank's heroism during the crisis. J.P. Morgan Chase and its CEO, Jamie Dimon, after all, were appropriately lauded for swooping in to save Bear Stearns and Washington Mutual acts of financial patriotism that certainly helped prevent the U.S. economy from further, du further doubling over upon itself. But people wondered why one of Wall Street's ostensible white knights would pay $13 billion, with a B, $9 billion of it, $9 billion of it shareholders' cash, plus another $4 billion in mortgage relief in a government case. So if you were a shareholder in J.P. Morgan, you got screwed. Okay? Now, this article goes on to say, during a conference call on the morning, quote, during a conference call in the morning, that the settlement was announced, Mike Mayo, a veteran Wall Street analyst, asked Diamond and bank CFO Marion Lake the question that appeared to be on the minds of everyone in the financial services industry. Quote, this is Mayo, that how is it that J.P. Morgan got front and center with this issue? That it's the Department of Justice working on an agreement with J.P. Morgan when J.P. Morgan performed so well during the crisis, yet here's the one bank that's paying a $13 billion fine, end quote. Um, and so Diamond's response was, quote, Mike, you've got to ask them, okay? That's it. That's all Diamond had to say on it, okay, at least on the record. Um, now, there's a number of clues that this author claims forced Diamond's hand. Um, the same reporter, let's see if I can do this, also wrote a piece in The Nation in 2014. Let's see if I can get this reporter's name. Sorry about this. Sometimes it cuts it off. Nope, it's not going to let me see it. <clears throat> the same reporter reported in the nation in 2014 um, that this really weird-looking settlement between J.P. Morgan Chase and the feds, quote, came at the end of an intense series of negotiations with a wide range of government officials, end quote. Okay. It goes on to say, quote, perhaps the most pivotal moment in the conversations occurred in September 2013 
when DOJ lawyers shared with Diamond and his, and his attorneys a draft of a 92-page civil complaint that Benjamin, Benjamin D. Wagner, the then U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of California's colleagues, were prepared to file in federal court. <clears throat> the draft complaint, based upon hundreds of thousands of subpoenaed internal J.P. Morgan documents and interviews with its bankers, employee, okay, let me back up here. I lost my place here. Again, same reporter reporting for the nation in 2014. Back up again. Quote, perhaps the most pivotal moment in the conversations, in other words, between the feds and J.P. Morgan Chase, occurred in September 2013 when DOJ lawyers shared with Diamond and his attorneys a draft of a 92-page civil complaint that Benjamin B. Wagner, the then U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of California, and his colleagues were prepared to file in federal court, end quote. It goes on to say, quote, the draft complaint, based upon hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of subpoenaed internal J.P. Morgan documents and interviews with its bankers, employees in its mortgage-backed securities division, and third-party third mortgage originator, alleged that the bank's due diligence process had been subverted and ignored during the years before the crisis, end quote. Okay, this should be made public. In other words, U.S. Attorney Benjamin B. Wagner prepared a 92-page document with internal documents from J.P. Morgan Chase in, a, in the hundreds of thousands of pages, as well as interviews with bankers and employees in the mortgage division, et cetera, all pointed to the fact that J.P. Morgan Chase subverted their own due diligence process or ignored it in the years leading up to the crisis. Now, why would you do that? You would do that only if you had the intent of committing fraud, fraud for profit. You know, do, otherwise, you're going to play by the rules. Now, to go on with the article, quote, in Wagner's narrative, the bank was not nearly the white knight of Wall Street. No one knew precisely what Wagner's investigation had uncovered about J.P. Morgan Chase, however, because his brief was never filed publicly. That's important, end quote. Quote, within weeks of Wagner sharing a draft copy of the complaint with Diamond and following a tense face-to-face meeting at the Department of Justice between Diamond and Eric Holder, then the U.S. Attorney General, the two sides agreed to the $13 billion settlement, at the time the largest ever. End quote. In other words, Mr. Wagner was doing his job. He got called up on the rug by Eric Holder. And, you know, probably presented the case as best he could, but was, you know, basically overruled by Holder and the Obama administration. And they let J.P. Morgan Chase get away with it. Okay. Keep in mind that $13 billion fine, you know, that they're going to recoup the money in basically greater fees to the clients. Okay? Now, what are they going to return? Quote, in return, the Department of Justice agreed with Diamond and J.P. Morgan Chase that, among other things, it would not file Wagner's complaint, which is outrageous. That, as far as I'm concerned, what Mr. Holder did that's suppression of evidence. 
this is these actions led to have heavily contributed to the crash in 08. The public had a right to know. And DOJ is supposed to be our lawyer, not J.P. Morgan Chase's lawyer. So, but Holder did cover himself. Quote, instead, an anodyne 11-page statement of facts was released, but it didn't offer a tremendous amount of insight. Well, no, 11 pages, it's nothing. Uh, Gretchen Morganson wrote in the New York Times that, quote, much of it was the same old, same old, a not very lively description of a corrupted Wall Street mortgage factory based largely on some facts that have been in the public domain for years. In other words, Attorney General, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder not only buried evidence, he, su- he suppressed the evidence and then told the public a bunch of bullshit. See, on this show, it's not whether you're a Republican or Democrat. It's about did you break the law? Did you break the rules? I don't care who it is. Okay? So I don't think we're going to go through this entire article. We will another time. But I wanted you to get an impression of Mr. Diamond. Okay? Now, this is the same man that's telling us we should be respectful to the MAGA morons as they threaten our existence. You know, as MAGA has explicitly stated, they want to murder us. They want to put us in concentration camps. Ironically, they're saying that we want to do that to them, but we're not the ones shrieking that. They are. Okay. Do I want the people that broke the law related to MAGA to face justice? Yes, in a proper court of law. far different from what they're saying. Again, these are the same people that erected a functional gallows on January 6th. Okay, they went hunting for humans with AR-15s. Doesn't take much imagination. Okay, so this is really, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna go into this a little more, okay? I want you to further understand what you know, we know that J.P. Morgan Chase ignored and just subverted due diligence, which is basically due diligence is those are the rules that you're expected to play by to ensure the deal is fair, okay, bottom line. Um, and it affects everybody because when a bank goes belly up, you know, it, it hurts the economy. It hurts everybody. All right, but they're not too big to jail, okay? This happened under Jamie Dimon's watch. He was the CEO. DOJ was dealing directly with Mr. Dimon. Should he have gone to jail? Hell yeah. Okay. So let's move on here. Now, the article goes on to say, quote, Wall Street CEOs have many reasons for using their shareholders' money to settle nettlesome lawsuits from optics and brand preservation to boosting their stock price and keeping embarrassing facts out of the public's hands. Keep in mind, if you bought some few stock and you're not rich, you're one of the shareholders whose money was given over. It should be noted, Diamond was furious that he had to settle. Okay? He really was. Um, you know, there's apparently Diamond attended a Microsoft CEO summit, and Diamond confessed, and this was according to The Nation, that he, quote, had to control his rage regarding this topic. Okay. Now, 
goes on to say, quote, to keen observers, though, it also seemed that he, Lewis Diamond, and J.P. Morgan Chase appeared intent on keeping Wagner's unfiled complaint out of the public record. The specter of the document becoming public was again raised in a separate court case when a few weeks after the Department of Justice announced the settlement with J.P. Morgan Chase, lawyers for the Federal Home Loan Bank of Pittsburgh, which had sued J.P. Morgan Chase's investment bank, along with other defendants, alleging it sold the bank, alleging it had sold the bank more than $1.7 billion in squirrely mortgage-backed securities, wanted a copy of Wagner's complaint, end quote. Makes sense, okay? They want to know what really happened. And it sounds like Mr. Wagner got to the bottom of it. He did the hard work. Mr. Wagner did the hard work, produced a 92-page document after going through hundreds of thousands of pages and interviews of employees, and only to have Eric Holder play politics and have it reduced to an 11-page piece of garbage. Really? This article goes on to say, quote, in fact, a state judge in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, ordered the bank to turn over the draft complaint. But J.P. Morgan Chase settled the litigation after the judge's ruling, a settlement that, among other things, get this, included a provision the draft complaint was to remain private, end quote. Now, the writer of this particular article disclosed, quote, after J.P. Morgan Chase fired me as a managing director in January 2004, I brought and lost an arbitration claim against the bank. I also remain in litigation with the bank as a result of a salary investment I made in 1999. So the writer of this article is at least being honest about their particular, you know, experience. The article goes on to say, now, four years, almost four years later, quote, as part of a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit initiated by Daniel Novak, an enterprising First Amendment attorney in New York City, the DOJ sent Novak a partially redacted copy of Wagner's curiosity-stoking draft complaint against J.P. Morgan Chase. Novak provided a copy of the partially redacted complaint to me. So it's not everything. It's, some of it's been blacked out. It's still pretty damning. Here's what it read. The draft complaint begins, quote, By this action, the United States seeks to recover civil penalties against J.P. Morgan Chase and its investment banking arm for a fraudulent and deceptive scheme to package and sell residential mortgage-backed securities that the bank knew contained a, a material amount of materially defective loans, end quote. As the unfiled complaint continues, J.P. Morgan knowingly securitized and sold billions of dollars of mortgage loans that were originated in material violation of underwriting guidelines and law. Okay? So basically, what they found, even in the redacted portion of Wagner's report, that the, the, our, the DOJ was trying to recover civil penalties because J.P. Morgan Chase had a fraudulent and deceptive scheme, that's the phrase they use, quote, fraudulent and deceptive scheme to package and sell residential mortgage-backed securities um, and that the bank, quote, knew contained a material amount of materially defective loans. Okay, They knew those loans would go belly up because the people taking the loans for these homes didn't have the collateral. They couldn't afford it, but they were conned. Okay? And see, when somebody 
when somebody like defaults on a home loan, for instance, the bank continues to make money. Because when you take out a home loan, for instance, this is what a lot of people don't understand, the bank isn't actually loaning you money they have. When you take out a home loan, for instance, or even a car loan, the money is created out of thin air, and then the amount of money that the bank claims you owe is entered into the bank, uh, into their records as, uh, as an asset. Okay, so if it goes belly up, it doesn't matter because then the bank will, you know, they're going to continue, they'll just resell it. Okay, because they didn't lose any actual money because they're not the ones loaning the money. They create the loan, they create the money. Do you hear how crazy that sounds? Uh, I've always had problems with this. So, apparently this reporter uh, did reach J.P. Morgan Chase of this article. And, um, you know, the spokesperson for J.P., you know, responses to the allegations in Wagner's brief, the spokesperson for J.P. Morgan Chase told the reporters for this article, quote, these allegations have been addressed, resolved, or refuted years ago, end quote. That doesn't answer anything. Okay. So this article goes on. Mm. So apparently the unfiled brief catalog that Wagner uncovered contradicted the public narrative that, you know, the media and the bank pushed. In other words, we were lied to. Uh, let's see. So, again, part of Wagner's documents also um, claimed that J.P. Morgan Chase knew that, quote, many of his loans Many of these loans were tainted with fraud and knowingly misrepresented. Read that one again. Wagner's report, even in its, even in its redact, redacted form, meaning it, things were blacked out, goes on to say that J.P. Morgan Chase knew that, quote, many of these loans were tainted with fraud and knowingly misrepresented, end quote. Didn't meet the underwriting guidelines. In other words, the people taking out the loans, they knew they couldn't make it. Um, and the writer explains that the loans met the underwriting. Okay. The writer of this article then goes on to claim that the bank says these loans, these liar loans, met their underwriting requirements when they didn't. Um, um, and claims the loans had enough equity value to collateralize the mortgages, even though they didn't. Okay, so the bank was lying. Uh, it goes on to say, notably, quote, Wagner's complaint argues that these fraudulent, these fraudulent misrepresentations cost investors to suffer billions of dollars in losses. And read that sentence again, quote, notably, Wagner's complaint argues that, quote, these fraudulent misrepresentations cost investors, quote, to suffer billions of dollars in losses. Okay, to give you an analogy, what Diamond did with J.P. Morgan Chase is kind of a mega version of when somebody, the old check-kiting scheme, they write checks to pay for things even though they know they don't have the money. 
Okay, it's pure fraud. This is this on mega steroids. Okay. Ah, hold on a second, folks. I'm going to take a little break here to have to tend to something. And we're back. Sorry about that. Had to come in at the door. <laughs> Again, live broadcast. So, you know, Wagner also wrote uh, in this unfiled complaint, this complaint that the public never saw, that based on his investigation, uh, two managing directors at J.P. Morgan Securities, one Christine Cole and another Bill King, quote, ran the securitized project group inside the investment bank that manufactured and sold the tainted mortgage-backed securities in hopes of generating fees that would lead to large end-of-year bonuses for them and other members of the group. The bonuses ranged into the millions of dollars and could be many times the size of the bankers' and traders' salaries, end quote. That's quoting directly from the article, not from Wagner's paper. Okay, so... There was incentive, big incentive for these people to commit fraud. They thought they'd never get caught. And if if these bankers and these traders and stuff, if they received bonuses in the millions of dollars, can you imagine what Jamie Dimon profited like? Now, the article goes on to say that in the years between, between 2005 and 07, Wagner wrote that, quote, the year-end bonuses of the traders and salespeople rose significantly in correlation with the spike and volume of residential mortgage-backed securities issuances at J.P. Morgan, end quote. Again, they were being rewarded for criminality. And the bank profited from criminality, too. The article goes on to say, quote, the unfiled complaint also alleges that the J.P. Morgan Chase bankers and traders acquired mortgages from third-party originators with the sole intention of packaging up the mortgages into securities and selling them off quickly to investors in exchange for large fees, end quote. Went on to say, quote, Wagner wrote that the bankers, traders, and employees responsible for carefully scrutinizing the mortgages being packaged up and sold knew they were acquiring loans with material defects that would be securitized and sold to investors. The bank, the unfiled brief continues, quote, and this is from the brief, quote, ignored its due diligence findings and securitized materially defective loans, end quote, and, quote, 
knowingly purchase and securitize loans with material credit and compliance defects, end quote. This is legalese. It basically said the bank, the bank committed fraud, premeditated fraud more than once. They did it over and over again because they were rewarded for it. Okay? This goes on. It goes into Trump land almost, really. <coughs> this, the article goes on to say, quote, the document further alleges that the bank and its employees knowingly sold mortgage-related securities with, quote, inflated appraisals and that, quote, ignored internal controls and that it, quote, intentionally misrepresented to investors, quote, the quality of the loans in offering documents filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission for the securities. So the document is alleging that these employees, they knew they were committing fraud. Um, they inflated the worth of these mortgage-related securities. They ignored due diligence, and then they misrepresented the actual quality of the loan. There's such a thing as buyer beware. You know, if, you, if they say, look, there's high risk to buying this particular securities package because these loans are risky or high risk. That's one thing. At least you know. J.P. Morgan didn't do that. They said, oh, no, these are good loans. Again, if you or I had done that, we would be sitting in jail for at least 20 years. Let that sink in. Uh, the article goes on to say, worse, the unfiled brief notes the bank continued to sell mortgage-backed securities, even though Diamond himself was worried that the residential mortgage-backed securities market was about to crash. Goes on to say, quote, according to Wagner, during the second week of October 2006, Diamond allegedly told King, the co-head of Securitized Products Group, that he needed to watch out for subprime, a reference to low-quality mortgage-backed securities because he feared the market could go up in smoke. It goes on to say, quote, the document also notes that Diamond wanted King to reduce the bank's exposure to that market, and that is documented in an article, another article in Vanity Fair. So what was the impetus for Diamond's concern according to this article? Um, Wagner suggests that it was, uh, let me just read this. Quote, the impetus for Diamond's concern, Wagner continues, was his review of reports from the mortgage servicing arm of the bank that showed that delinquencies on such mortgages were rising at an alarming rate. At Diamond's insistence, the unfiled complaint asserts that, quote, J.P. Morgan formulated an exit strategy to divest itself, end quote, of the riskiest pieces of mortgage-backed securities that have been accumulating on its balance sheet. Goes on to say, quote, but Wagner writes in the draft complaint, quote, despite knowledge at the highest levels that underwriting had deteriorated across the industry and early payment defaults were spiking, J.P. Morgan continued to purchase and securitize subprime loans without addressing the known breakdown of its due diligence practices and without disclosing its knowledge to investors, end quote. Now, this article goes on to say it's pretty much what Goldman Sachs did leading up to the financial crisis. Goldman Sachs was criticized. J.P. Morgan Chase was, you know, said, oh, you're like the hero, whether or not. Now, there's more to this. I'm not going to go over all of it. But, again, J.P. not my, J.P., that, Jamie Dimon was the CEO through all of this. 
So now he's at Davos, well, it was a week ago, and he has the utter gall to criticize decent people for calling out the bigotry, the hate, yes, the neo-Nazism of MAGA. And we, we should respect them. Why, why are these reporters even listening to Diamond except that they're not reporters, they're stenographers? Now, there's another piece in Forbes, and the uh, headline, this was in 2015, the headline was, Should Jamie Diamond Be Criminally Prosecuted? <coughs> it was written by Lawrence Kotlikoff, who is an economist and creator of Maxify.com and MaximizedBySocialSecurity.com. Okay. Um, it's a good question. We're not, let's see how long this is. I don't think we're going to go into all of this. We've already run over an hour. We'll go into another time. My opinion is, should he have been prosecuted and, and, and convicted? Yeah. What kept him from being prosecuted? Eric Holder. Again, that. 92-page document that Mr. Wagner uh, provided was suppressed. But they gave a copy to Diamond. Why? So he can be ready in case somebody in the future wants to prosecute him? No. You know, and the public didn't have a right to see it? That's nonsense. Okay. So there is... Another article here, now this is from a group that some of you will not like because you don't like the word socialist, but this is a smaller paper. They do good journalism. Uh, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm not a socialist or a communist, but I can acknowledge good journalism when I see it, and they do. So this is the World Socialist website. Uh, this is an article written in 2013 by Andre Damon. The, quest, the headline is, Why is J.P. Morgan's JP, Jamie Dimon immune from prosecution? Now, this was after the New York Times ran this big article that the U.S. government will arrest two employees of J.P. Morgan Chase in connection with a multi-billion dollar trading loss in 2012, which the bank hid from regulators and investors. Okay, it goes on to say, quote, the criminal charges, I'm just reading from it, quote, the criminal charges are part of an attempt by the Obama administration to create the appearance that it's cracking down on Wall Street criminality while it continues to shield top executives and allow banking fraud and criminality to continue unabated. Uh, it goes on to say, U.S. authorities made clear to the Times they have no plans to seek criminal charges against executives such as J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. Um, the decision not to bring charges against Dimon is neither an accident nor the result of insufficient evidence. Nearly five years after the greatest financial crash since the Great Depression, triggered by rampant illegality and fraud on the part of the major banks. Not a single major institution or leading bank executive has been indicted, let alone tried, convicted, and jailed, end quote. And it goes on to describe these different losses. You know, it goes on to explain, like, in early 2012, J.P. Morgan had lost, like, $6 billion from high-risk trades and derivatives, you know. I know some brokers that say, never buy derivatives, never. You'll lose your shirt. Uh, and that how J.P. Morgan wanted to hide losses from the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. They call it using fraudulent accounting books. Okay, they cooked the books. That's what they did. Now, that same year, Diamond told investors 
that the bank's derivative losses were, quote, a complete tempest in a teapot, end quote. Mr. Diamond seems to be really good at trying to take these big and serious issues and, and just minimize them. Like, it's no big deal. Okay, I, I'm always suspicious of people like that. Um, so then, you know, later that year, the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations they released a 300-page report that documented fraud and lawbreaking by J.P. Morgan, and this was in direct connection with derivatives training, derivatives trading loss. <coughs> Excuse me. The report concluded, quote, that J.P. Morgan used false accounting to quote hide hundreds of millions of dollars of losses and quote misinformed investors, regulators, and the public about the nature of its risky derivatives trading. End quote. Okay, 300 pages. Day after the subcommittee released the report, they held a hearing on J.P. Morgan's loss. They, you know, they brought forward company executives and regulators, but they didn't ask Diamond to testify. Now, at that time, Diamond was known as Obama's quote favorite favorite banker, and apparently, Diamond was a regular guest at the White House during you know Obama's first term. Um, According to the article, quote, only days after Diamond announced the massive trading loss, Obama publicly defended him, calling him, quote, one of the smartest, smartest bankers we've got, end quote, and adding that J.P. Morgan was, quote, one of the best managed banks there is, end quote. You know, I, I would disagree with President Obama because just because somebody's smart doesn't mean they're honest. Okay? There's a lot, a lot of convicted criminals that are brilliant. There, there is no, you know, it seems like, President Obama is trying to create this binary connection that if you're smart, you must be honest. No, no such thing. Um, you know, they had a fall guy. They arrested the fall guy. The scandals involving, according to article, J.P. Morgan is enormous. Um, and this article did explain that they were being, that J.P. Morgan wasn't being investigated by the U.S. Attorney Office. In other words, Mr. Wagner's office, U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of California. Again, this article leads into the one we talked about in gory detail. Okay? So, why did we go over Jamie Dimon's nasty little career? Because here, you know, Jamie Dimon not only has a history of documented criminality that he oversaw, as CEO, he's responsible. He could have put an end to it. Uh, but then he also has an equivalent talent for taking these big crimes and going, it's no big deal. Just like he's telling uh, the rest of us, we shouldn't disrespect MAGA. All right? These are good people. No, they're not, Mr. Diamond. They're hideous people. They are Nazis and Nazi sympathizers. There's no... Uh, They've said the quiet part out loud. There is no plausible deniability as to the Nazism of MAGA. It's right there in your face. So the next time, I feel like telling Mr. Diamond, the next time you feel like telling a pack of lies, don't tell incredibly stupid lies at the very least. Okay? Got to get a little decaf here. Mm. Mm. I want to remind the public who Jamie Dimon really is. Now we're going to move to our deplorable of the week. 
Okay. And this, I, I, I apologize, I don't have the music. Our deplorable of the week, drum roll please, is Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. Now, why Congresswoman Elise Stefanik? Well, this is for her role in calling out the January 6th insurrectionists as hostages and political prisoners. It's like, Congresswoman, they're not hostages. Those idiots broke the law. They broke and entered. They, even if they didn't hit somebody individually, they committed simple assault. They committed, many of them committed assault and battery. They defecated in the halls of Congress and smeared the feces on the walls. They went hunting for humans. They erected a functional gallows. It was there for the world to see. They are not hostages. They are criminals. Mm. Anyway, let's move on to our jackass of the week. This one's kind of interesting. Give me a second. Welcome to TNN Jackass of the Week Awards! Rayon. This week, our Jackass of the Week is Missouri State Senator Nick Schroer. Okay. As I said, in case you couldn't hear me, this week, our Jackass of the Week is Missouri State Senator Nick Schroer. Now, Schroer is a major Trumper in Missouri. He's behind multiple campaigns spreading white supremacy. Um, he's the guy with the flamethrower, along with one of the gov- gubernatorial candidates. I think Bill Eigel is his name. Um, let's see. Yeah, Bill Eigel. So apparently this was back in, story ran on September 20th, 2023. Now, at the time, it, it, timing is important because End of September, when this happened, Missouri was going through a drought, and these guys were in a rural area. Only a moron would play with a flamethrower like it's a toy at night in a drought-stricken area. The fact that they could have triggered a wildfire did not prompt these idiots to think. And keep in mind, Mr. Mr. Schroer is a licensed attorney. That's the joke of it. So... There, this is a story from The Hill, and it's got a video as well. Watch, video of Missouri politicians using flamethrowers goes viral. This is in St. Charles, Missouri, which is Trump country. And apparently there was a fundraiser called Freedom Fest. It was a Freedom Fest fundraiser. And it was held at the Sugar Creek Winery in Defiance, Missouri, a really little town. And apparently the flamethrowers were being offered as a prize at the event's raffle. I don't know why. What, they ran out of cookies and cake? They had to raffle off two flamethrowers? And so they were demonstrating the flamethrowers. Now, the story got out that they were burning books. And, you know, I believe in accuracy. So, you know, that got out of hand to the best of my knowledge. There weren't any books in those boxes that they set ablaze. They were just shooting the flamethrowers at a stack of cardboard boxes or wood boxes, whatever. Um, But, and apparently Schroer said that after this got out, apparently some people thought they were burning books because 
these are candidates that are in favor. Uh, Bill Eigel's gone record as saying that, you know, if critical race theory books come to Jeff City, he's governor, they'll burn them right on the Capitol steps. But Schroer was whining, a little snowflake that he is. We were called Nazis, KKK members, every name under the sun. Well, you know what, Mr. Schroer, if you don't want to be called a Nazi or a KKK member, then don't behave like one. Um, so there was some, you know, some difference of opinion there. But Eigel, who is a, can, a Republican, he's trying, he's, let me second, I, Bill Eigel is a Republican candidate for governor. He's trying to get the nod to be the Republican candidate. But Eigel triggered this as well by saying, quote, you bring those woke pornographic books to Missouri schools to try to brainwash our kids, and I'll burn those too on the front lawn of the governor's mansion, end quote. And this is what he wrote on his Twitter account, his X account. <coughs> so, you know, he was triggering it. You know, keep in mind, Missouri has stupid regulations on our libraries, on critical race theory. Again, I've been an educator my whole life. Critical race theory has never been taught in K through 12. It's taught in law school. Um, but what they're calling critical race theory is any honest reading of history. That's it. Nothing more. So is it, I'll acknowledge that they weren't burning books, but they would like to. Okay. <clears throat> And again, my point is that while both men claimed the rural vote, they stupidly played with these flamethrowers in the dead of night while Missouri and several other states, according to drought.gov, were in the middle of drought conditions. Was it worth it? Okay, would this episode have been so entertaining to them if they had started a wildfire? And what kind of stupid jackass does this? Well, apparently Trump jackasses. So, to go on with Nick Schroer, okay. Now, again, I'll acknowledge, while it's true, neither Eigel nor Schroer were burning books here, the visual threat came through loud and clear. I mean, who actually needs a flamethrower? You know, this was a visual threat to anyone that disagreed with them. Well, I mean, you saw these flamethrowers. They were standing, I guess, I don't know, 40, 50 feet away in this line of fire. Uh, and while you can buy flamethrowers online, I don't know why you would, um, there's no legitimate need. Why play with flamethrowers like they're toys? Again, this was nothing but a visual threat, a stochastic terrorism. It's not the actual terror act itself. It's the threat of it. And both politicians are playing innocent, you know, just the joking, just joking excuse. So I got on X, Twitter, whatever. And I forget what it was Nick Schroer had put up there, but I typed in and I replied, quote, and those of us who believe in equal rights will fight you. Schroer responded with this joking meme of a, con of a, of a comic, um, I think it was Will, Fer Will Ferrell, where he was playing this phony news commentator, a clown, that kind of looking real arrogant, going like, motioning like, bring it on. Um, no political courtesy, just a tr typical Trumpian meme. Now, Mr. Schroer can do that. I don't care. 
but I did issue another response, which X blocked. So here's my response to Mr. Schroer. You know, he's doing the little bring it on. So I wrote, which again, X wouldn't allow. It's go time, little boy. Not scared of you. Bring it on. No, everything I do will be legal. Legal. You're the moron playing with flamethrowers. Overcompensating for some insufficiency down south, Mr. Schroer? End quote. So apparently X would have none of that, so much for freedom or liberty. So, you know, I decided to bring some context to the discussion and review Schroer's record. First of all, Nick Schroer is a card-carrying member of ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. This is the bill mill that provi provides already pre-written, pre-slugged bills to multiple state legislators. So they don't write their own laws. And these are the same ones that, you know, brought on the critical race nonsense and all this other crap that's coming down the pike, voter suppression, you name it. Now, I will give Schroer credit where credit's due. He's an attorney, and when he appears on air, he's, you know, pretty sharp. He thinks he's being slick, though. KSD.K, which is the, um, he's the NBC affiliate here in St. Louis, uh, did an interview. Now, Schroeder wants to limit the rights of the people who place issues on the ballot. That's one of the things he's doing. Um, so there was this, you know, this art, this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this interview on KSD. And, you know, among other things, Nick Schroer is, you know, a major part, part of Missouri State Senate. You know, he wants to take the um, control of St. Louis City Police and put it under the state again. You know, why? Well, St. Louis City is still majority black and the state isn't. Um, but they also want to limit the rights of people to place issues on the ballot that the legislature doesn't want, especially ballot issues, which could modify the state constitution. And Schroer uses the excuse of, well, there's out-of-state funders or out-of-state billionaires funding, and that's why he wants to make it harder to get these ballot, these ballot issues, um, these issues on the ballot, you know, that have been gone through the petition process that are citizen um, citizen built, okay? And, and we need this in Missouri. Several years ago, to give you an example, St. Louis City did a ballot initiative and they raised the minimum wage, <coughs> I think it was $15 an hour, and this was, uh, memory serves me like, I think maybe in 2015, something like that. It only applied to St. Louis City. And it was the voters of St. Louis City that made this decision. Well, the state legislature, still dominated by Republicans, um, went after it and, you know, took them to court and said, no, it's against the state constitution. Okay, and I think they also passed another, again, I'll have to look this up. I think they passed a bill saying that, you know, you can't do that. Anyway, the result, and I'll have to check later, I can admit when I'm wrong, but the result was that the voter initiative in St. Louis City to raise the minimum wage only in St. Louis City was halted <laughs> by the state, even though it had nothing to do with the rest of the state. Okay? And again, out-of-state funders, out-of-state billionaires funding, why does this, that excuse justify taking a right away, or in this case, making the use of that right, 
citizen-started ballot initiatives much more difficult. Now, Schroer makes this bogus claim that the proposals are moved towards greater transparency, but they're not. Yeah. He claims that his proposals to limit, to make it more difficult to get for citizens to get issues on the ballot and go around the legislature, you know, he's saying his proposals to limit that right would allow citizens to, quote, see the entire ballot measure. That's already a right. We don't, you know, again, he's not only lying, he's telling stupid lies. Uh, and, and that's the thing. Schroer was allowed to lie on air. He provided zero documentation or proof. Um, and, you know, this is what he's about. <laughs> Apparently, Mr. Schroer thinks everybody's stupid but him. Uh, his excuses don't justify this proposed action to make it more difficult for citizen-initiated petition issues to get on the ballot, especially to get on the ballot to modify the state constitution. The reporter didn't really challenge Schroer on the veracity of his accusations, didn't challenge the truthfulness. He didn't challenge the questionable constitutionality of Schroer's proposals. Now, the reporter did bring up a ballot measure that uh, via petition process which would protect abortion rights in Missouri. Um, Schroer is virulent, anti-choice, anti-woman. And, you know, the reporter asked if the protest by Schroer is, quote, changing the rules midstream. Um, <laughs> you know, Schroer claimed the action to limit citizen-led petition-driven ballot issues has been going on for years. Maybe, but the public didn't know about it. Uh, and then he goes off, Schroer goes off on all these examples such as the Failed Parents Bill of Rights, which is an ALEC initiative. You want to talk about out-of-state money, that's ALEC. American Legislative Exchange Council, of which, again, Mr. Schroer is a card-carrying member. Right now, Schroer has a bill in process, <coughs> excuse me, that was heavily censored free speech rights in our school, straight from the ALEC playbook. Okay. Um, so, once again, we could go off more, but I just want to end our jackass of the week, you know, Thing where again, I didn't expect Nick Schroer to respond personally on X. You know, again, he wants to limit the rights of the public. So I said, yeah, we will fight you, but it'll all be legal. And I like my response. You know, again, he gave me this. It was a picture of Will Ferrell with that, you know, that fake um, news guy, and he's just like going, bring it on. And my response, and I will stand by it, is. It's go time, little boy. Not scared of you. Bring it on. Note, everything I do will be legal. You're the moron playing with flamethrowers. Overcompensating for some insufficiency down south, Mr. Schroer? End quote. And so, for all these reasons, and so much more, because he's just a nasty tool, our jackass of the week goes to State Senator Nick Schroer. Brayon, jackass, Brayon. You never sounded more prolific or intelligent. Okay. So we have one little ditty before we end tonight. Today, rather. Okay. Scrolling down. I lost my place here. 
Okay, so now we have a comical interlude. This is not from Randy Rainbow. He hasn't done a whole lot of videos lately. I'm disappointed. Like, Randy, we need more of your videos. This is from another group, satirical, called The Founders Sing. The Founders Sing. Mm. All right. And <laughs> me, I realize you can't see it, but they took the old Rolling Stone song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, No Satisfaction, and they took the tune and they retitled it to Aimed at Trump, You Can't Get No Re-Election. So with no further ado, let me start our audio and enjoy. show for today. I hope you learned something. You know, it's not the show I had planned on. When I heard that garbage come out of Jamie Dimon's mouth, that we shouldn't be disrespecting MAGA, 
I wanted to reach through the damn TV set and slap him upside the head until basically asshole, his asshole was in his mouth. Okay, I couldn't stand it. Uh, only somebody as wealthy as Jamie, Jamie Diamond would have the utter gall to tell such a pack of incredibly stupid lies. Okay, again, we don't owe MAGA anything except our contempt and our promise to defeat them and to send them packing. And the only other promise I would make to MAGA is this, that those of us that believe in rule of law, we also need to embrace the Second Amendment and arm ourselves. We won't start the war. We will finish it if we have to. Self-defense. Not inciting, it's self-defense. Bottom line. The longer we refuse to embrace the Second Amendment, the bolder MAGA will get. You know, they made it clear on January 6th that what they want to do. And like most bullies, they're cowards. And cowards, you know, they don't, they, they want to shoot fish in a barrel. what they want to do. You know, again, we won't start the war. So we will defend ourselves. And that needs to be made crystal clear. That goes to any relatives or friends that are alleged nice, nice MAGA supporters. No, they're not. Um, I don't care to understand them. I'm not going to tolerate it anymore at all. We need to make it crystal clear to anybody who's friends, family, people in the military, police officers, that they're not welcome here if they're MAGA. They can believe what they want, but they have no right to force it on the rest of us. And we need to take this seriously because Trump and his lynch mob, that's all they are. But they're they, they win only if we stand down. They're, trying appeasement won't work. They're liars. They've proven to be liars. The only thing they understand is that if they attack, we will defend. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing else. It's really that simple. MAGA wants to destroy democracy. They want to imprison anyone who criticizes Trump. Do you hear how insane that sounds? And Jamie Dimon is telling us, that we shouldn't disrespect these bigots, these neo-Nazis. I'm going to end the show with, to hell with Jamie Dimon. Good night and God bless us because we're going to need it.